Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, can you turn me down just a bit? I'm like super loud. Uh, Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to Redemption. Um, My name is Byron. I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor and church planter. If you're a guest, I want to say welcome. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with us here at Redemption today. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19. We're going to continue our study through the book of James called Bold Words from Jesus' Brother. And today, the bold words James is going to have for us is knowing and doing. And so while you're finding your place in your Bible, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get to work. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, that Jesus is both holy and helpful, and that Jesus left heaven to to live the perfect life, the life that we should to die the painful death in our place, giving us grace, hope, mercy, redemption, and new life. Father, I ask that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit would, 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 would serve us, but also would lead us to live a life that is glorifying to both you and is profitable to the world around us, that we would live for your glory and for the good of others. And we ask all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's just think about some of the most practical, simple things in our everyday life that we know that we should do, but, but we don't do them. Okay, we could all come up with a list of simple, practical, everyday things that we know that we are supposed to do, but we don't do them. Okay, here's one. When I was a kid, I used to take my vitamins. Okay, I would take Flintstone vitamins. Do y'all remember that, Flintstone vitamins? Yeah, I think it's amazing that kids these days take Flintstone vitamins, but have no clue who the Flintstones are. But, but kids, so we, we take our, our vitamins and Flintstone vitamins, and I would take them every single day, like one, two, maybe a whole bottle. Like I would take all the vitamins. But today, no, I, I don't take my vitamins. My, my wife reminds me, she says, she says, Byron, you should take your vitamins. Like, yeah, I totally should, okay, but, I, but I don't. Okay, how many of you, you take vitamins every, every day, right? You, you know that you should, okay, but oftentimes we, we don't. Okay, what about this one? Changing your oil every three months or every 3,000 miles. Okay, whenever I, I, I got my first car, I was 16 years old. I worked that entire summer at my grandfather's pipe fabrication shop, and I saved up and I bought my very first car, a 1998 Geo Prism. I love that car. And my, my grandfather told me, you need to change your oil every three months or every 3,000 miles. I drove that car for 7,000 miles. Okay, needless to say, I don't have that car anymore. Okay, but, but still, we know we need to change our oil, but when that 3,000-mile mark comes along, we're like, mm, I can do a little bit more. Okay, we know that we should, but we don't. Okay, what about this one? Diet and exercise. Okay, we, we all know that we should, we should eat well, that we should work out. We know we should, okay, but we don't. Actually, I, I, I work out. Okay, I, I work out quite a lot. Um, for the last six months, I've been going to the gym pretty much every day. And every Sunday before I preach, I wake up and I run three miles. Okay, so I, I love going to the gym. And the days that I don't go to the gym, I, I feel like I'm missing something. And, and so exercise is great. But recently, the last couple of months, I've kind of hit a plateau. I hit a plateau in my performance, my endurance. And, and I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what, what's going on? So I went and saw a personal trainer. And I went and talked to the personal trainer. I said, here's, you know, here's my workout. And she said, well, how's your diet? I was like, yeah, that's none of your business. Um, and so I showed her, showed her what, I, what I was eating. She said, oh, here's the problem. You're not eating enough. And I thought, huh, that's, that's, that's strange. She said, well, it's not that you're not eating enough, but you're not eating enough of the right foods. And I'm like, oh, that sounds more like it. And then she started to tell me, she said, do you know what a macro is? And I'm like, mm, no, I, I know what a microwave is. Okay, that's where I put all the food you're telling me not to eat, uh, but I don't know what a macro is. So she, she proceeded to tell me what a macro was. I got confused and ate a taco. Um, <laughs> taco's better. But nevertheless, we all know diet and exercise. But when it comes down to it, we, we don't. Okay, w- one more, since we're all here. Okay, now redemption is a safe place, okay? So there's n- no one's going to judge you. Okay, what about this one? Flossing. I uh, got quiet. Yeah, flossing. We all know that we're supposed to floss, okay? But, but it's kind of awkward. Like when you go to the dentist and the dentist is like, when was the last time that you flossed? And you're like, uh, when was the last time I was here? Uh, February? You should know because you were the last one to floss me, right? 
February. Yeah, we all know that we should floss, but when it comes down to it, don't act like you're better than anyone else. Okay, there's lots of things that we know that we are supposed to do, but when it comes down to it, we don't. In fact, you can go to my, my Facebook profile, and I recently asked this question out to Facebook world, and everybody commented just like people on Facebook do, and everybody jumped in, and I, there's a list of like 100 comments of things that everyday people know that we should do, but we don't do it. And some people got really spiritual with it. They were like, read your Bible, pray, tithe go to church, be involved in a small group. Other people, they got very personal. There are some things I can't say here on a Sunday, but nevertheless, long list of things that we know that we should do, but when it comes down to it, we simply don't do them. And that may be true for our everyday life, but is it true for our life with Jesus? Today, James is going to talk to us about the difference between knowing and doing. Okay, he's going to talk to us about knowing the word and, and doing the word. And this is very important because some of you, you are know the word people. You know the Bible. You love the Bible. You study the Bible. You have an ESV study Bible with footnotes and commentaries and margins and cross-references. And you have systematic theologies and, and, and you can quote Puritans from memory. And you, you love studying from dead guys. And so you, you know the word. Okay, others of you, you're more do the word people. And so you're like, all I know is Jesus loves me and we got work to do. Okay, some of you know the word, do the word. And what James is going to say is we actually need both. That we need to both know the word and to do the word. Think about it like this, two pedals on a bike. Simple illustration. If you want to go anywhere, if you want to get to your destination, if you want to head in any direction, you need both pedals working simultaneously at the same time. Knowing the word, doing the word. These are lessons that James learned from watching his big brother, Jesus. James would have seen Jesus both, both know the word, but he also, Jesus, also saw Jesus do the word, that Jesus studied and that Jesus worked. Okay, James would have been there when a big crowd gathered around Jesus, and, they, and Jesus said, blessed is he who not only hears the word, but also obeys it. Okay, James is picking up on the same thing, that we are to know the word and we are to do the word. And here's where James starts. James 1, verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Okay, James starts here. Know. I want you to know something. This is going to be very important. You're going to need to hold on to this. You're going to need to remember this because you're going to forget this. This is something I want you to know. Okay, beloved brothers. And I, I love that James starts there. Because in a minute, James is going to jump into the do's and don'ts. And he's going to give us a long to-do list. But before James jumps into the to-do list, James first starts with our identity. I love that James starts here. He says two things, that God loves you and that God has made us a family. Know this, beloved brothers. I love that James starts there. Okay? Because it all starts with the love of God. It all starts with the love of God. And oftentimes in our lives, we, we tend to define ourselves by who we are based upon, based upon what we do. This is where I work. This is where I go to school. These are my hobbies. These are my interests. This is my family. This is, this is who I am because of what we do. James doesn't do that. See, the Bible, it starts with who we are, that we are loved by God. Romans chapter 5, Paul writes that, that God has poured out his love in us through the Holy Spirit, by the person of Jesus. And from that new identity, then flows our activity. And this is what I love so much about James and the rest of the scriptures, is that before God tells you what to do, God tells you who you are. Before God ever tells you what to do, God first starts by telling you who you are. And he says, know this, beloved brothers, that you are beloved. Okay, my wife is here today. She is my beloved. And, and my little girl, she's She's here today, and, and she is my beloved. And what James is saying is the same way that a husband loves his wife is the same way that Jesus loves you as his church. The same way in which a father loves his child is the same way in which God as a father adopts us into his family and makes us his children. And from that, our identity, knowing who we are, then we will know what to do. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. From every other religion, ideology, sociology, anthropology, self-help, and daytime talk show. Is that, is that they would tell you who you are is dependent upon what you do. That if you do these things, then you, you might be saved. Then you can earn your righteousness. Then you can have salvation based upon what you 
do. That if you dress this way, if you pray this way, if you read this translation of the Bible, that if you do these things, if you travel to this place, if you journey to Mecca, if you give this much money, if you reincarnate and pay off your karmic debt, then at the end of your life, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then maybe, just maybe, you might become a part of my family. Okay, religion can tell you what to do, but religion can never tell you who you are. Only the God of the Bible can tell you who you are because he is the only one who made you and he is the only one who created you and he knows who you're supposed to be. And before God ever tells you what to do, God starts by saying, this is who you are. You are beloved and you are my brothers. You are my my family and that God has adopted us into this family. And then when we know who we are, from there we will know what to do. And so James starts by talking about the love of God. Okay, and then he's going to move in. He's going to say, do you know the word of God? It starts with the love of God, and then it moves into the word of God. So James is going to talk about how we are to grow. And like every father, they want their children to grow. So God is going to work in us. And so how do we know that God loves us? He has revealed it through his word. And so God is a father giving us instructions through his word so we can grow, so we can flourish, so we can live a life for his glory and for the good of others. So James now is going to start to talk about how we grow through the word of God. This is what he says next. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And so God wants us to grow. God wants us to know the word, to know his love, and he wants us to grow. It says the implanted word. Think about it, that the word of God is like a seed. And when it's planted into our hearts, when it's covered, when it's nourished, when it's nurtured, it bursts forth with newness of life. And that's the same thing that God wants to do through the word in your life, that you would burst forth into a newness of life. But there are things that we can do to resist this growth. There are ways in which we can resist the work of the word and the work of the spirit in our life. Maybe you would say, I'm just not interested in that. Or maybe you'd say, "Uh, I don't really believe that. Or you're like, "I I don't really have enough time. Or my favorite, that's just not my personality. Okay, now if you go to redemption, you've been coming for a while, then you know to never say, that's my personality around me. Okay, I, I, I love, love to make fun of personality types. That's just, that's just a thing. Okay? And so some people are like, well, I'm an INFP and I'm an ENTJ. I'm like, you're a J-E-R-K. Like, that's what you are. Okay? And so some of you, you're like, you're like, well, I'm an introvert. Now listen, okay, here's why I like to make this a big deal. Okay, one, because our church is filled with introverts. And so obviously it's a felt need. Uh, the other thing is that extroverts are just so easy to make fun of. Uh, they kind of just bring it on themselves. And so like, so if, you, if you're here and you're like, well, I took, I took a personality test and my, my Myers-Briggs says I need seven nights of Netflix and sleepy time tea in order for me to have a healthy equilibrium. And so my personality says, mm, yeah, we can be in community and we can hang out. You hang out over there. I'll hang out over here. And we'll call that fellowship. No, 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 that's not how it works. And others of you, you might be more extroverted, and so you're planning birthday parties for people, and you don't understand personal space and why nobody likes you. Okay, it's because you're annoying. Okay, all right, good, good, good. So introvert, extrovert, jerk alert. Right, bring it all in. Come on, come on. Okay, listen. If your personality is preventing you from becoming who God wants you to be, your personality needs to change. And luckily for us, God changes who we are. And so if your personality is preventing you resisting spiritual growth, then God wants to change that. So James lists five different types of personalities that resist or prevent spiritual growth in our life. And so I'm going to read these again, and I want you to think, which personality best represents me? What is it that God wants to change in my life? Who am I? What is God working on in me? So here's the five personalities that resist spiritual growth. First is bad listener Larry. Okay, this is what he says. He says here, he says, let every person be quick to hear. Okay, so bad listener, Larry, are you a bad listener? I'll repeat myself. Okay, are you a bad listener? You, you probably didn't hear me because right, you weren't listening. <laughs> or maybe you did hear me and you didn't like what I was saying. And so, so there, there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? I, I'm guilty of this. I'll be sitting around the dinner table at a family dinner, and my wife would be like, Byron, are you listening to me? And I'm like, yeah, babe, I, I hear you. She's like, no, but are you, are you listening to me? 
Okay, listening, hearing, two totally different disciplines. Anyone else? Anyone else? Ladies? Like, wives, it's not nice to point, okay? Just say. Okay, hearing and listening, two totally different disciplines. Now, we live in a world that is filled with distractions. Everything, everyone, everywhere is trying, vying, trying to capture our attention from social media, marketing, advertisers, magazines, movies. They're saying, buy this, do this, look at me. Everybody's trying to capture our attention. And so it's really easy for us to be distracted. And when we get distracted, it's easy for us to tune out the voice of the Holy Spirit and to tune in to the word of God. And we come resisting the work and the word of God in our life because of the distractions that are around us in the world. And so we need to be quick to listen to what the word is trying to teach us, to what the word is trying to tell us. And that we don't only just need to hear it, but we need to listen, tune into the spirit, and tune into his word. Okay, are you a bad listener? Number two, this guy, his name's Talk A Lot Ted. Okay, Talk A Lot Ted. Here's what he says. He says, be slow to speak. Okay. Are you someone who likes to talk a lot? Are you talk a lot, Ted? Right now you're thinking, "Ah, I don't know. Maybe I'm a talk a lot, Ted. I'm not really sure. I do think I'm a verbal processor and I come up with a lot of really good ideas and I want to tell everybody exactly what I'm thinking. And why isn't nobody ever listening to me? I have to tell everybody exactly what it is. (gasps) Yes. Yes. I am talking about you. Talk a lot, Ted. This is the person whose mortal enemy is silence. And they, they always have to fill the air with whatever it is that's running through their mind. And they, they always have a list of questions, and they're always playing the devil's advocate, and they always have to be heard, and they always have to get the last word. Okay, listen, not everything that runs through your mind needs to come from your mouth. And not everything that you do needs to be put on display for the world to see. James says you need to be, you need to be quick to listen, and you need to be slow to speak. Okay, God's given you two ears, one mouth for a reason. You need to listen twice as much as you talk. So talk a lot, Ted. I'm glad you're here. Sit down. Shut up. Okay? Number three, this is short fuse Phil or Phyllis for gender equality. I want to just make sure that I include the ladies in here. This is not just a male-female problem. This is an everybody problem. And we all struggle with these to some varying degree, right? Some of you, there'll be one. You're like, yep, that's me. Some of you, you're more high maintenance and you'll have like three, four, or five of them. And if you're not sure, ask the person next to you. They'll tell you which one you are. So this one is short fuse fill, okay? He says, be slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Some of you, you have a very short fuse, Okay, anything and everything sets you off, ticks you off, you blow up, you freak out over the smallest, most minute of problems. You're always offended, you're always upset, you just teeter right between chaos and conflict all of the time. Okay, you have a short fuse. You're quick to be angry. And some of you, you can even get self-righteous about this. You can even get theological and you're like, well, I'm angry like Jesus. And Jesus got angry and he flipped a table and he fashioned a whip and so I'm just being like Jesus. No. Okay, you're not like Jesus. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, that we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and we need to be slow to anger. Listen, if you're always looking for a reason to be offended or to be upset, you're always going to find one. Okay, but if you're looking for a reason to grow in holiness and love and compassion and maturity, you'll find that. We need to be slow to anger because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God. Fourth, this guy, his name's Hypocrite Henry. Okay, maybe you've met Hypocrite Henry. He's the one with the long finger, and he loves to point it at everyone. But what he doesn't realize is there's three fingers pointing right back at him. Okay, so Hypocrite Henry, here's, here's what it says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This is the person who's like, God hates sin. But I kind of like this one. Like, that's, that's horrible, and you, you're, you're terrible, and that's nasty. I can't believe you would do that. Oh, but don't look over here. Right? No, that's, that's not a sin. That's my opinion. That's, that's not sin. That's, that's just between me and God. That's nobody else's business. This is, it's, it's more like a hobby. Okay, it's kind of like a habit. It's not even a habit, really. I mean, there's a verse to talk about, like, nobody's perfect, or I shouldn't be one to judge. So, so don't, don't look over here. Okay? This is a person who is unwilling to submit their life to the lordship of Jesus. James says, put away how much filthiness? Some? A little bit? Most of it? How much? How much? All. You know how much that is? All. Yeah. Put away all filthiness. So if the the heart is a home, 
This is a person who cleans the house but keeps one door locked. And they don't want anyone to go in there. They don't want anyone to see that. You know why? That's where they keep their rampant wickedness. James calls this for what it is. He says that's hypocrisy. That's what it is. And then uh, number five, this is know-it-all Neil. Okay, these guys are the worst. Okay, like you can't talk to them about anything. You can't tell them anything. And the moment you do, you're like, hey, here's an idea. And they're like, oh, nope, nope. I got it all figured out. Boop, 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 boop. Here's all the things that we can do. Thank you for trying to help me, but mm, I'm so smart. Okay, know it all, know it all, Neil. Okay, here's what he says. He says, receive with meekness. So it's not, it's not about pride. Okay, it's, it's about humility. Okay, so, so when someone's trying to teach you or when you're in your community group or you're talking to other people, don't be like, oh, no, I have all of the answers. Thank you, though. You know, I have a, I, I've read the books and I, I've read the systematic theologies and I have an Excel spreadsheet. I got a chart and a graph. I've been there before. Like, I can figure this out. Thank you. No, no, it all, Neil. That's not, that's not how it works. Okay, when we want to grow in our faith, we have to come to this word. We have to be humble and teachable. We have to be humble and you say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I need other people in my life. You know, I need to be a part of a local church so that way I can grow because God's word grows us and he's given us community and people to be around. And when I read this book, you know what? There's still a lot of room for me to grow. There's still a lot of things in here that I don't really understand. I mean, I'm confident in them, yes, but there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm still a little confused by. And you know what? I'm not as smart as I pretend to be, and I'm not as successful as I present myself to be to others. So we need to be, we need to be humble, not proud. We don't know everything. And so what James is saying is when we, when we want to grow in our faith, when we don't want to resist the work of the Spirit in our life, that we need to be slow to anger. We need to be slow to speak. We need to be quick to listen, not proud, but humble, and not a hypocrite, but someone who is teachable. And that's what James is saying, that God wants to grow, and here's these personalities that resist the growth of God in our life. So here's what I want you to ask. Which personality best represents me? What part of my life is God wanting to, to, to change so that way he can use me to bring glory to him and to the world around? So what is it in your life? Is it your identity? Is it your activity? Or is it your personality? Okay, what is it that God is wanting to do in your life? Because if you don't answer this question, then you become exactly like the person that James is talking about here, right? All knowing and no doing. Okay, let me, let me, let me give you an illustration. Um, Francis Chan, the author of Crazy Love, he, he gives this illustration, I think, it's, I think it's pretty amazing, about how the way that we, we treat God in our everyday life would never fly in, in the life of others, right? And, and so he gives this illustration um, of a dad. And the dad's fixing to go to work, and, and he sees his, his kids before he leaves for work, and he, he goes in to give him a hug and give him a kiss, and he, he realizes that their room is a mess. And so he, he tells his kids, he says, kids, uh, I love you, I'm happy to be your dad, you need to clean your room before I get home. And so the dad writes a little letter, tells his kids to go clean their room, the dad leaves, and then when he comes home from work, he sees that their, their room is still unclean. And he's like, hey, what, I thought I had told you to, to clean your room. And they're like, oh, well, dad, you know, we got your letter about us cleaning the room. And, and it was a wonderful letter. It, it was great. And we actually skipped school to stay home. And we, we read the letter. And, and we just thought, this letter is going to change my life. And we actually, we actually started inviting people over. And we started a little community group where we'd get together and we'd talk about the letter and what it means for us to clean our rooms. And did, dad, did you know that the way that you told us to clean our rooms is the same way that God wants to clean our hearts of sin? I thought that was amazing. And, and dad, we, we even know how to say clean your room in the Greek. We learned what it means in the Hebrew. We started a ministry. We traveled around door to door telling people about the importance of them cleaning their rooms. It was actually quite amazing. It changed my life. The, the letter itself, dad, you're a really great writer, right? I, I mean, the, the grammar was perfect. The, punctu, the punctuation was perfect. I mean, it was just amazing. To which the dad says, did you clean your room? I'm like, oh, dad. I totally forgot. We were too busy telling other people what to do that we didn't think you actually meant for us to clean our room. And that's, that's the same thing that James is saying here, that when we resist spiritual growth, all we do is know without doing, it, it doesn't work. 
And so James tells us the importance of this as he shifts and begins to talk about for us the importance of knowing and doing. This is what he says. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest you deceive yourself. Now, you know, the church hasn't changed that much in the last 2,000 years. Okay, we still wrestle, struggle with the same problems that the first church wrestled with. You, you think that after 2,000 years, we would have finally figured this out. That we are a church filled with lots of knowledge, okay, but little action. We're all, we're all knowing, right? no doing. Okay, and so James is frustrated with his church. And that's the reason that James writes this letter. He's writing this letter because he's, he's frustrated with them. That, that the church does not look like his brother Jesus. Because he, he knows what Jesus does. He knows what Jesus loves. He knows how Jesus lives. And he's frustrated because these people in his church have sat in the same pews for years, but they never walked across the street. He's frustrated his church because they, they know the Bible. They love the Bible. They can memorize the Bible, but they have never shared their faith with their friends, with their family, with their coworkers, classmates, or neighbors. That they have sat in these pews every day for years and nothing has changed. And James is frustrated with his church because they're all knowing, no doing, and they don't look anything like his big brother Jesus. That James would have seen Jesus study and pray and serve. That Jesus, he, he taught and he, he loved and he served others and he gave. And Jesus, he, he, he healed, but Jesus also meditated. And Jesus knew and Jesus did. And Jesus was exhausted and Jesus was tired. And Jesus still overcame sin, temptation, and somehow always made time for community group. And Jesus knows what it means to have the word of God and the works of God. And he's frustrated because the church knows and doesn't do. That the church has information, but they have very little action. See, James knows this, that our behaviors are the greatest indicators of our beliefs. That, that our behaviors are the greatest indicators of our beliefs. And, and we can get really easy like this in a church. Uh, let me tell you this. You know what my greatest fear as your pastor is? My greatest fear. Like I, I, I'll, I'll sit awake at night and I'll just, my greatest fear is this, that on a Sunday morning, you wake up. It's a little bit early, get your kids ready, hop in the car, you drive the 15 minutes here, find your same parking spot every single week. Come out, come upstairs, check your kids in, they go and they learn about Jesus, you come down, grab a cup of coffee, you sit in the same seat, and then the band starts playing. You do three songs, you raise your hand, and you worship, and you sing. And then I stand on the stage and I preach. I open the Bible, teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. I yell, and sometimes you say amen. And then after I get done preaching, then you take communion, sing another song, make a friend, then you get in your car, and then you leave. That is my greatest fear. My greatest fear is that you can come into this room, and you can hear me preach the Bible every single week, and you can walk away unrepentant, unregenerate, unchanged. That is the greatest fear that I have, that we could be a church that gets good at this, that we would be a church where people could walk in and it's like, oh, it's about me and come serve me and everybody be nice to me and everybody welcome me. It's about what I get. It's not what I give. It's about what I consume. It's not what I contribute. It's what God does for me, not what I do for him. I want people to be welcoming, but I'm unwilling to welcome others. I want people to be genuine and real authentic with me, but I'm unwilling to do the same to others. And it's all about me, and it's not about God, and it's not about other people. It's my greatest fear for our church. That we can get really good at this. That we can put on a show, and we can get people coming in, and we can, we can market ourselves, and people just come in, and they sit down, and they're like, that was nice. Right? We can get really good at this. And as a church, we can just say, you know what, this is where culture is at. This is just where people are. So what we need to do is we need to lower the bar. Okay, we can't expect a lot out of people, right? We can't ex expect a lot of responsibilities out of the men. So let's not talk to the men. We, we, we can't expect a lot of people out of our members. So actually, let's just get rid of membership altogether. Instead of membership and growth class, let's just, let's just get everyone here. We'll play three songs. We'll get some cool lights. We'll have an energetic speaker. And then we can just come in, tell people how awesome they are and how special they are and how much God loves them. Tell them to give, pat them on the back, and send them on their way to hell. We can do that. We can get really good at this. 
And we can totally neglect this. That is my greatest fear for our church. Is that we would be a church that knows a lot, but doesn't do anything. That's James Church. And that's the same place many of us find ourselves today. All knowing, no doing. One theologian says it like this. A religion that gives nothing, serves nothing, does nothing, is worth nothing. A religion that gives nothing, serves nothing, does nothing, is worth nothing. So from here, James is going to begin to juxtapose true religion from false religion. And James is going to give us two marks of false religion that we should reject. And then he's going to give us one mark of true religion in which we should accept and that we should strive towards as a church. The first mark of false religion, he says, is that false religion is forgetful. Verse 23, for if anyone, that includes you, First, he says, it's forgetful. If anyone, that includes you, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, then he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the scriptures, the Bible, how we grow, who looks into the law of liberty and perseveres. That means you know this. You hold on to this. You strive towards this. You believe it. You keep it being a one who hears and does not forget, but a doer who acts, then he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, that sounds very familiar to what Jesus said at the beginning of the sermon. Blessed is those who hear and obey. James is saying the same thing, that there is a blessing that comes from our obedience. Okay, see, oftentimes people want the blessings of God, but they don't want the obedience. But the blessing of God come from the obedience of God. And that, and that the blessings of God are not either or. Okay, the blessings of God are, are, are both and. It's not either blessing or obedience. It's not either hearing or doing. Okay, it's not either knowing or doing. It's both and. It's both blessings and obedience. Both knowing and doing. Both hearing and doing. See, the blessings and the obedience, they are, they are tied together. And oftentimes we want the blessings without the obedience. We want to know but we don't want to do. And so, so James here is he's going to give us an illustration, something to better help us understand because we're dense. And so, so we need to understand this. And this is what he says. He says that um, false religion is like a man who looks into the mirror, okay? So, and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. So think about it like this. Like every morning, this is what I do. I, I wake up, okay, I go downstairs, I put a pot of coffee on. First thing I do is I walk my dog. By the time I finish walking my dog, I come back, coffee's ready, pour me a cup, okay? And then I start going about my business to get ready for the day. And I go into the bathroom and I, I shave the sides of my face and, and I, I wash my face and brush my teeth and I, I get ready. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm together. Nice. So then I walk out the door. Okay. And then what if I would have just forgot what I looked like? What, what if someone came up to you and they're like, hey, Byron, what, tell me, uh, what do you look like? And you're like, I'm like, uh, I'm six foot six, okay, long blonde hair, clean shaved. And I'm pretty buff, I think. Nice six pack. And you're like, yeah, probably not. Right? I'm like, I don't know. I, I forgot what I looked like. Like, wouldn't that be strange if we looked in the mirror every day and then we just walked away and we're like, I, I don't even know who I am anymore. Wouldn't that be a little strange? Okay, but that's the same thing we do when it comes to the Bible. That, that we open up the Bible and we're like, okay, okay, this is who I am. This is what God says. This is what God wants me to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. This is, this is, this is it. Okay, good. Got it. You shut the book. You walk away and then you forget. And you're like, what? What did it say? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? I'm not, I'm not really sure. Okay. When we close the book and walk away, we forget. And false religion is, false religion is forgetful. Okay. This is the reason that we need the gospel every day. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he says that we need to hear the gospel daily because we are so prone to forget. Like Sunday mornings, easy, right? You're like, yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus died for my sins. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Let's do this. Okay, Monday morning, different story, right? Kids are screaming, boss is calling, emails are piling up. You know, by Monday evening, you're like, I just need some me time. And then by Wednesday, you're a functional atheist, right? That's just kind of how life goes. 
And, and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know who I am. I don't know where to go. Right? We need to hear the gospel daily because we are so prone to forget. Listen, the Bible is a mirror for you. Okay? And it doesn't just show you the image of your face. It shows you the identity of your heart. It shows you who you are, who God says you are, and what God wants you to do. We need to be looking into the word daily or we forget. If we close the book and walk away, we have a false religion because we are forgetful. The second thing he says is that false religion is deceitful. Here's how he says it. If anyone thinks that he is religious, oh, I'm pretty smart, right? I'm a, I'm a good person, I'm pretty great, everybody come look at me. Okay, I've been a Christian for a while, I'm pretty mature, I'm pretty holy, okay, I'm more evolved than the rest of you, right? Have you ever met that guy? Okay, he's got a false religion. Okay, if anyone thinks that he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, and this person's religion is what? Worthless. Okay, here's the danger of all knowing and no doing, is that it's, it's deceptive. What you can begin to think is like, oh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty spiritual, I'm pretty holy, I'm a pretty good person, right? I, I've listened to the sermons, I've listened to the podcast, I've been to the conferences, right? I, I've listened to the latest Hillsong and Bethel and Elevation Worship albums, and I've seen all the Christian movies, right? Passion of the Christ, Son of God, Angels in the Outfield. And so you're like, okay, everybody, like, I, you're still with me, good. Okay, so everybody's like, oh, hey, I'm pretty holy, and I'm pretty smart, and I'm pretty good. And you know what? I should be the leader, and I should be the one who's on stage, and I should be the deacon, and I should be the elder, and I should lead the community group, and they, they should listen to me, and that guy's wrong, and that person doesn't belong here. And you can start to think that you're pretty holy, that you're pretty good, and that you're pretty special, and that other people need to come listen to you. Listen to me. You're deceived. And here's the nature of deception, is that you don't realize that you're deceived, Okay, that's just kind of how it works. Like you become blind to your own blind spots and you can get into a place where you, you, you think like, I'm right, everyone else is wrong. I have all of the answers and if I get enough knowledge, then I'll be fine on my own. Okay, listen, false religion is deceptive. And this is the reason that I tell you to get in a community group and go to grow class every single week. Okay, because Sunday mornings is when we know the word. Like we preach, okay, we preach the Bible, the kids gather, they have their lessons, we sing songs, we take communion. Sunday mornings, know the word day. Okay, community groups, that's where we do the word, life on life, living on the mission of God together, in community together, praying for one another, walking through the everyday stuff that we all wrestle with. That's where we, we share a meal and we, we talk and live in community and accountability and we live out the mission of God. See, knowing the word is great, but doing the word together, and that's powerful. And if you get to the place where you're like, I don't need anyone, I don't need them. I'm good on my own. Like, I'm right, they're wrong, the church is bad, I can do this on my own. If I get enough knowledge, if I get enough personal time, if I get enough information, then I can be okay. okay listen, that's not the way that it works. That's not the way that God has crafted or intended our lives to be. And if we live that way, then we become deceived because we have a false religion. Then James, now, he's going to give us the last point, which is what true religion actually looks like. And here's what he says. True religion is both helpful and holy. This is what God desires for our life. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, So true religion does not harm others by putting them down. Okay, true religion helps others by building them up. So James here, he specifically mentions two people, the orphans and the widows. Now, in that day, orphans and widows would have been the most marginalized, ostracized, outcasted people in all of society. So the, the wife, she would stay at home with the kids. She would tend to the home. She'd take care of the house. She'd take care of the family. And meanwhile, the husband, he would be out working, oftentimes demanding, very dangerous jobs. So probably working labor out in the field or maybe even as a, as a fisherman. And if something were to happen to the father, if he were to, to die or to be injured, then the family would be distraught. The family would become devastated. If the husband passed away, then the, the wife, then she would become a widow and possibly homeless and maybe even starve to death on the streets and not be able to make an income and not be able to have any money. And then the, the children, they would become homeless as well and they would become orphans. And see, in that day, there was no social security. There was no welfare. There was no, 
there was no laws to protect them. And so when something happened, they couldn't just go to, they couldn't go to the government. They couldn't go to the lawmakers for their own protection. Okay? In fact, some of the most deplorable men would come in. They'd see, they'd see a widow and they would think, there's a vulnerable woman. That's someone that I could take advantage of. And so they would go to the widow and they would beat them or rob them or rape them and take them and leave them there just to die. Or they would see a poor little girl and they would turn her into a prostitute. Or they would see the little boys and they would turn them into child soldiers or the government would come by and make them slaves. Okay, so orphans and widows, these are the lowest of the low. These are the outcasts. These are the marginalized people in their society. Okay, there was no safety net. There was no one to come along and help them. The only thing that they had was the local church. That's all that they had. The only thing that they had is the, the local church. And so what would happen is, what would happen is a, is a Christian man would come and see a widow, single mom, and say, well, here's a woman who needs to be loved and provided for and protected. Here's a single mom like Mary, Jesus's mother. And so he would come along and he would marry the widow. So that way they could become a family and he would love her and provide for her and protect her. Or, or someone would come along and they'd see a little boy or a little girl on the street and they'd say, they need a family. I mean, the Bible says God is a father to the fatherless and so I'm going to adopt this kid the same way that Jesus adopted me into his family and I'm going to give this kid a family. See, the reason that the first church grew explosively, okay, it wasn't because they had amazing systematic theologies. It wasn't because they could quote dead guys and they had the Bible memorized and they could put on a really good show and they had moving laser lights in their synagogues. That's not the reason the first church grew. Do you know how? It was because the way they lived their life, the practical ways that they lived their everyday life caused a gospel explosion all across the world because when people saw them, they're like, they believe. And it changed people's lives. The way they lived their life changed the world. The way they loved, the way they served, the way they welcomed other people single-handedly changed the world. And that's what I dreamed that this church would be like. That's what I dream that this church would be like. The way we work, the way we serve, the way we love. That we wouldn't just know a lot, but we would be a church that does. That we wouldn't just have a lot of information, but Redemption Church would be a church of action and love and care and passion. So that when the city sees us, yeah, they may disagree with our theology, but they will not deny our love. That's the church that I dream of. So true religion, helpful. But James adds something else that's pretty interesting. He says, it's helpful and it's holy. Okay? He says, keep oneself unstained from the world. And now when we, when we teach this verse, okay, people get really excited. They're like, yeah, orphans and widows, right? Okay, all, all you do is you're like, get those religious people. Those religious people are terrible. They're the worst. They don't do anything. They just take up space and tell other people what to do. Yeah, you need to get those religious people. James has a word for you. Keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay. All of your work, all of your good deeds, all of your efforts, all of your intentions cannot, will not pay God back or cover up your sin. Okay, James says pure religion is perfection. Pure religion is without spot. It's without wrinkle. It's without stain. Not a hint of worldliness or filthiness or wickedness. It is perfection. Without holiness, all of this is worthless. You think James is pretty tough. Right, well, luckily for us, we have Jesus. And so, so what, is, what does Jesus say? Surely Jesus wouldn't say that. Okay, James was there in, in Luke chapter 11 when a man comes up to Jesus, big crowds around him and says, Jesus, how can I be saved? And Jesus looks at him and says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect? How can I be perfect, right? I mean, nobody's Perfect. Exactly. So you can do a lot, but you can't do this. 
you can't do this. And the more you work, the more you try, the harder you, the harder you give, right? It's just sin is like a stain. And the more you grind it into your clothes, the more it spreads. You're ruined. And even if for somehow you were able to live the rest of your life without sinning, it's too late for you. Because you already have. James leaves us in a pretty hopeless place, doesn't he? I mean, kind of like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And see, when we come across texts like this, some people, all-knowing, right, they're, they're like, unstained. Other people, all-doing, they're like orphans and widows. When we, when we come across texts like this, either side, pastors, they, they love to use these texts. Okay, and, and they'll use a text like this, and, and you can start to feel pretty shallow. And you can start to feel like you're, you're pretty small, like we're guilty. And pastor would love to say, this is who you are. Okay, you don't do anything. You don't serve. You don't tithe. You don't give. You don't welcome other people. You are worthless. You are hopeless. You are pathetic. You are a sinner deserving of hell. And you can start to feel pretty guilty. And I'm pretty sure by now we can all draw the conclusions from the text. So instead of guilt, let me give you the gospel. Jesus is holy. That he's the second member of the Trinity and he sits in eternity past at the right hand of the Father. He is the author. He is the sustainer. He is the creator, supreme ruler of the universe. That he hangs stars and he paints galaxies and he carves mountains into this world. That he is eternal, gathered by angels, worshiping glory, glory, worthy, worthy, holy. Jesus is holy and Jesus is helpful. And that Jesus stands up from his throne and he enters into this world. He steps down a world that is broken and flawed and stained and fractured and filled with sin. And Jesus lives the perfect life, the life that you and I never could live. Jesus was arrested and Jesus was tried and Jesus was crucified. And they took his hands and his feet and they nailed him to a cross. And Jesus died. The most painful, brutal, horrendous death known in the history of the world the death that you and I deserved. And then they take Jesus' lifeless body from that cross and they, they lay it in a tomb and they roll over the tomb. And Jesus lay there for three days. Jesus laid in the tomb to show how our sins have been forgiven and our sins have been erased and our sins have been forgotten. And then three days later, Jesus bursts forth into newness of life, that he, he resurrects and Jesus is risen in the same way that because of Jesus, we can have new life through him and we can be resurrected with new identities and new directions and new purposes all because of Jesus. And that from there, Jesus ascends into the heavens and where if you were to take a glimpse at Jesus today, you would see him standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf, praying for you, loving you, serving you, helping you. And then Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit to enable us, to empower us, to overcome our sins. And guess what they call Jesus, the Holy Spirit? The helper. And he's the helper and he, he lives inside of us and he changes our natures and he changes our desires and he changes who we are. That previously in our old lives before Jesus, that we were separated from God, that we were lost at the fall, that we were sinners, that we were orphans because of our sins. But because of Jesus, he adopts us into this wonderful family. And where we were rejected by, by man and we were like widows in society, Jesus gives us this new identity to where, to where our life is no longer orphans or widows, but now it's sons and daughters and beloved brothers. That's who you are now because of Jesus. That Jesus is holy and Jesus is helpful. And he doesn't leave you where you are. He changes you. He tells you who you are. And from when you know who you are, then we know what to do. So redemption, this is good news, amen? This is good news. 
So here's what I want you to do. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to do some things today. Okay, first is, today is Baptism Sunday. And some people, yes. And some people, today, you, you're going to get baptized. And here's what, here's what baptism looks like. Baptism is us showing the world what the gospel is. That just as Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected, so these people are going public with their death, burial, and resurrection. That their old life is buried with Christ, and their new life is risen because of Christ. So they're going to show the world the gospel through their public baptism and their dedication to follow Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. Some of you, you signed up. Others of you, you didn't know you were going to get baptized today. But the Holy Spirit told us you were, and so we got t-shirts and shorts and towels just for you. Okay, and, and so, so don't think, well, I, I don't have, no, we, we have it all planned out. We don't want anything to hinder you from being obedient to Jesus. The last words that Jesus said was, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey and be baptized. And so we want you to be obedient. You heard a sermon about being obedient. We want you to be obedient. And so today we're going to have baptisms in just a moment. Don't leave yet. We're, we're going to dismiss you, but still stay here for a sec. So, if every, so everyone would, would stand with me right now. Okay, we're we're going to worship. We're going to call the band forward. Okay, and we're going to worship and we're going to sing, right? And the band's going to play and we're, we're going to sing songs and praises to Jesus. And then we're going to partake in Holy Communion. Holy Communion also shows the world through the sacraments that Jesus was broken for our brokenness and that Jesus' blood was shed. So that way, because we've shed blood, his blood covers us and now we are free and now we are saved because of him. And then we're going to give of our tithes and offerings. And that's a way that we show the world what Jesus has done for us. And then we're going to have our prayer teams available on this side over here. Some of you, today, you are wrestling, you are struggling. You find yourself in the same place that James Church was. We have a team who would love to pray with you. So don't just sit there. Stand up, worship, sing, take communion, and come and be prayed for. So here's what we're going to do. Okay, those of you who are being baptized, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three, and we're going to cheer, and we're going to celebrate as you go and see Jay in the back for his baptism. Jay, raise your hand. There you are. Okay, so those of you who are being baptized, when, when I hit three, then you're going to go, and you're going to go see Jay, and everyone's going to cheer for you. And then we're going to sing, and we're going we're gonna to worship Jesus, okay? So you want to be baptized, okay? You signed up, or maybe you didn't. You don't know today is your day, though, and you're going to be obedient. We have shirts, we have towels, we have shorts. We got it all planned out for you. So we're going to count to three, and then everyone's going to cheer and celebrate because today is your big day. Today is your day. So one. Hey, you all ready? You ready to cheer? Are y'all ready to cheer? Okay. All right. So one. All right, get ready. Two. Okay. Three, go. Yay! Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.